<sighs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Downstairs. That's the number of points. Anyway, so we took a month off. Uh, last time when we spoke, uh, we practically spoke off like almost close to three hours because we were doing like a year end. A year end. Uh, like a year end review. And no, I did not. I have not shaved in between a few years just like this. So, yes, I'm actually quite useful to having like a, a beard type of beard. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I, however, did shave. Yes. And then now it's going back. Yes, sadly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Aiden, how was your New Year's and everything? It was good. It was uh, relaxing. Uh, I've just been uh, spending time, uh, you know, just been writing that series that we've uh, talked about before and uh, just reading that uh, weekly. But, yeah, it's been pretty chill. Uh, there's been some there's been some crazy weird stuff that's been happening in the news oh, yeah. since we've been off for a month. Apparently, yeah, I guess so this is what happens when we take a month off. The world just goes wacko, even crazy. crazy and like, like, like I, like we were joking at the end of the episode. I was like, I'm pretty sure nothing was gonna, nothing crazy is gonna happen when we come back. We did. And sure enough, <clears throat> so sure enough, we got like a lot of crazy shit over the past uh, like first two weeks in terms of like entertainment news and stuff like that too. Uh, so, unfortunately, I do want to start with uh, the fact that one of the craziest stuff, or unfortunately, one of the saddest things to start with the new year was the fact that our, you know, our beloved friend Betty White unfortunately passed away right before New Year, like on the cuffs of uh, New Year's Eve, uh, on the cuffs of the New Year. And on and, the cuffs uh, of her 100th birthday, too. Yeah. And, uh... And then a day or so later, Peter, either, Peter, I can't remember who, and yeah, it was uh, Peter Bodogovich and then Sidney Poitier, and then finally Bob Saget, you know, all passing away, like in a span of like essentially a couple of days of each other. And and whenever someone famous dies, people are like, oh, death comes in threes. I was like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah. After like maybe your past few years, I'm just like if there's a celebrity who dies, I'm like, I'm like okay, who's gonna be the second and who's gonna be the third one? Not to be like all dark or anything, but it's just like the kind of like process I have now is like if some mm-hmm. if a celebrity does pass away or a famous person pass away, I'm like okay, that was one. Who's gonna be two and who's gonna be three? Because mm-hmm. after a while, it's like you just like like. The system does actually does the system actually does do that, but I think I was more heartbroken with Bob Saget passing away because I grew up with that man because mm-hmm. I watched Full House when I was a kid mm-hmm. growing up. You know, TGIF was was like the night of you know great entertainment. I'd be like it'd be like Full House, uh, Family Member, Family Member. Family Matters, uh, Boy Meets World, mm-hmm. uh, and a few other shows, probably around the same time too, especially with it being TGIF. And yeah, you know, and of course, you know, I, I felt that Betty White passed away too was so sad because I was like waiting for her to, you know, pass 100 and just like, you know, I made it and then, you know, have 
her great, you know, success and whatnot, but finding out that she had a stroke a few, like a week or so earlier before her passing, I was like, ah, man, mm-hmm. that's like, and, you know, I, I've been with family members who've had bad strokes, especially in a very advanced age, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, it's not really uh, good to watch, especially seeing how their health was like literally deteriorating and stuff like in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, and, like, yeah, same. Like that's yeah. Well, like that happened to someone in my family. I mean, they weren't like you know, at certainly not the age of Betty White. But well, one, they didn't pass away, thank God. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just like you know, it's just like a crazy thing to like essentially see happen. Cause I cause like when I saw this happen, I was like I was like a kid and I was like, what what's going on? Cause it was yeah. just so crazy. And, and, and it's that thing too, where it's like Betty White was like America's grandma, and Bob Saget yeah. was like America's dad, and then Sidney Poitier is like uh, probably one of the most like I I, I say influential oh, like African American yeah. actors, because because like you know like at that time when he was like acting in, in that you know day and age when he was like starting it's like yeah it's like man it's like just like so many icons are losing, and I and I'm just not and I'm not familiar with um Peter. Um, oh, good, uh, Bob Dogovich. Yeah, he's a very Bob famous Dog- director. Uh, like, if you, and I'm looking at his credits right now because I'm only knows. I'm trying to remember like one, like, like a lot of people have been saying uh, the Last Picture Show, but I'm trying to remember like what. Yeah, he's like done movies like the Last Picture Show, Mask. Uh, oh. uh, yeah, he he's actually a lot of a prolific '70s director. Because mm-hmm. a lot of his work has like stemmed from like the 1970s, mm-hmm. and I've also known him from as a uh, as an actor too because he was actually Dr. Melfi's therapist on The Sopranos. So if you oh, ever watch um. if you ever watch The Sopranos and you, you see Dr. Melfi going to her therapist, that's him. Like he's mm-hmm. playing that role, and mm-hmm. so I remember him more along from The Sopranos than I did more along the lines of his directing, even though. Like I remember, you know, I've seen Mask uh, like a few, like maybe a couple of times, or maybe a few times. I don't remember either, either two or three times. But I know I've watched the movie in the past, and mm-hmm. so yeah, like I saw it once when I was younger. So when I couldn't comprehend who the director was, because I was just like, you know, flipping through TV channels trying to find something interesting, and then I stumbled onto that. Yeah, so it's like, uh, but if I was probably. Growing up in the 70s and uh, like a 20 year old in the 70s and watched his films and the thing, I probably would have understand uh, understood the him a lot more. Mm-hmm. Especially and of course me as the as a cinephile, I'm just like, oh Brian, you know, you're not really a true you know fan if if you don't know a person's like that. You know, just because if I don't know the person's filmography, it doesn't mean I still don't respect them. I'm like I, I exactly, yeah, uh, exactly. If like you don't have made, to know every single tidbit to be a fan. And, and looking over his filmography, it looked like he was making a, a movie one year, like like every year in the 1970s, and maybe a couple of movies in the 1980s, and mm-hmm. by the time the 90s hit, you know, it's like kind of like slow down. So mm-hmm. he was like really putting out a lot of movies in the 1970s, and then and going into the 1980s as well. But yeah, like I said before, I think what really struck me the most was probably the the Bob Saget thing where it's just mm-hmm. like like you said before if Betty White was America's uh, grandmother then Bob Saget was American's you know like American's um, 
America's dead. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think, and, and what was more weirder is that at my job, we were actually playing Halloween specials and whatnot. And mm-hmm. my position for that day, right before we closed up on the last day, because of course I go on the last day to work, you know, uh, so after when we did our podcast, I came down with a very bad cough or cold, I should say. Relaxed. It wasn't COVID. It wasn't Omicron. It wasn't Delta. At least as far as I know, it was just a regular cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably because I was working with so many uh, parents and kids trying to get their pictures for Sandra and all that stuff. And that's mm-hmm. probably how I got it. Anyway, yeah. so. And. Yeah. Uh, so when I did return to work, the last day they had me was essentially a uh, guard while well, coming into the uh, movie theater. So all day long they were playing like, uh, like holiday specials like Frosty, all that stuff. And then closer towards the the mid afternoon they were playing like you know like sitcom you know stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sure enough, they played a, an episode of Full House where I believe it was like them ringing the new year and stuff like that, too, since, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, you know, uh, it just was New Year's like a few days uh, earlier. So mm-hmm. we might as well just play some New Year's uh, related episodes because they played a, a New Year's episode from the Modern Family. They played a New Year's episode from the middle and mm-hmm. with Full House as well. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it and I'm like. And it's weird because it's like as I'm watching it, it's like I must have gotten the news like maybe later that night or a day later or something like that. I'm just like Bob Saget had passed away. I'm like, no, it, it was a day later because you know, uh, yeah, it was a day later because it, because I got we all got the news on Monday. And I'm like, and here I am, just like watching like Full House, just like the day before. I'm just like. Like, his timing is amazing because, you know, he could always make everything so nice. Like, and that was and that was the great thing about Bob Saget is that the one that you saw on TV was the clean act. Mm-hmm. And then when he got on stage, it's like, oh, here comes the radar. You know, you know, here's, here comes the radar uh, NC-17 type of stuff, which was yeah. like raunchy. It's like he went from America's dad to... That fun uncle who made, yeah, who, who's had at least uncle, one or two. The fun drunk uncle that wasn't really drunk. Yeah. But yeah, it was like watching that and then. And, and also the to, fact that it's like, he was like restarting too. His like, you know, his yeah. live appearances as well. Like literally that night where he had passed away, he had just done like a live show. Yeah. And he was like so jazz to do the the show and stuff like that too but it was like he just couldn't wait he couldn't wait to do uh more shows in the in, in the uh the future so it's like and it's sad to to hear that because you know it's like there is another uh, entertainment that i know the ultimate warrior who did a great promo uh right after coming back into wrestling for one day because he came back into wrestling for a um, Hall of Fame ceremony, right? And everybody mm-hmm. loved Ultimate Warrior and stuff like that, too. You know, he does this impassionate speech to crowd, and then the following night, he just passes away. Mm-hmm. Like, almost like a premonition of, I have to give out all this stuff to 
my fam uh, to my family and friends and mm-hmm. so yeah and then of course Bob Saget posted us on Instagram saying that he, he was so uh, happy to be in front of crowds again and stuff like that too so it's like and then you read that and then you just find out that you know the following night he just passes away and I'm just like it's just very sad to read and to hear about that and yeah. and the same thing with Sidney Poitier, where it's just like, you know, this man was like, like, this was a, like, a pristine, uh, prominent, pristine actor that, like, really demanded respect at any time mm-hmm. you saw him. Like, people really, you know, you know, he, people try, uh, treat him with respect, but people always treat him as Mr. Poitier and not like, mm-hmm. hey, Sidney, something like that. Like, yeah. like, when someone t- treats you with the with a Mister instead of like oh hey Brian's like Mister Davis or something like that that you know people are treating you with such respect that you know even mm-hmm. though they know your first name and whatnot they and they call you by Mister or Miss or Mrs or something like that mm-hmm. you know that like uh, yeah it speaks to how well like how respected that person is and just, yeah. the, just the character of that. Of that person. That even when it's like, yeah, you're friends with him, but it's like you'll still treat him like, you know, Mr. Portier. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's definitely, and, uh, and it's definitely kind of sad too, because it was, uh, because like the last movie I saw Mr. Portier in was probably, uh, not, you know, as an actor, probably, one of his last roles was probably the Jackal, which was like this like mid nineties run of the mill action movie starring Richard Gere as an Irish terrorist or former terrorist. And again, that's like, that's like odd casting right there. Richard Gere as an Irish terrorist. And there was a, a thing in the nineties where it's like, they were casting very odd actors as uh, other nationalities. Like uh, Brad, yeah. Brad Pitt was an Irish terrorist in a movie called The Devil's Own, and Lord, as he tries, you could tell he tries to do with an Irish accent, but I'm not sure how how Richard Gere was able to do his Irish accent. And yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel like casting back then was just sort of like, okay, there's the dartboard, there's some names, let's throw a dart and see what happens. Yeah, another like another interesting was uh, Tommy Lee Jones in a movie called Blown Away, where he plays a, like another Irish like. And that was another thing is like in the mid nineties, if you needed someone who was like a, a terrorist or something like that, and you didn't want to go into a Middle Eastern type role or, or like not an obvious stereotype. Yeah. Like a, a Middle Eastern Irish stereotype. People always pick the IRA or Irish like type of things. And of course, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Irish American myself and I've been learning all that, you know, and I had to learn that stuff because of my uh, film class and stuff like that too. So it's like, oh, it's like, it's like, it's just very weird to, you know, see someone like Brad Pitt, uh, Richard Gere, or someone even like Tommy Lee Jones play an Irishman and have that like very folky Irish accent. Anyway, point of course, the last movie I saw, Mr. Poirier, was probably The Jackal, which again was a run-of-the-mill type of 90s action movie. And it's like, it's definitely one of those things where it's just like, oh, you know, this was like one of his last movie roles to a date, and then afterwards you just kind of like retired because one, you know, he was like in his like seventies or close to his seventies, and it was like probably figured it'd be like time to retire because afterwards it's like 
when you're in your 70s and you're acting, it's like, what else can you really do outside of, like, the mentor role or, mm-hmm. like, the teacher or something like that? And Exactly, with, yeah. With a, uh, with a pristine and esteemed, there we go, with an esteemed career that Mr. Pereira had, it's like, what else could he really do, at, like, after, like, as the 2000s was, like, rolling around? Mm-hmm. Aside from maybe direct a couple of things, but, you know, the last yeah. thing, and, and the... The sad thing, the last thing he actually directed was a Bill Cosby movie called Ghost Dad. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's – so if you really did want to direct something, that was like – like after Ghost Dad, I was like, no, I probably don't want to direct anything. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like – and, of course, with Betty White, it's like uh, – like I was kind of like in the resurgence of her career like 10 years ago when she was like coming like more Facebook – popular and stuff like that too and like mm-hmm. i like and then having people uh petition her to be on like snl and stuff like that too so yeah it definitely was like a uh a hit to me, a hit towards me because of uh the passings but i i think and again i think what the one that really hit me the most was probably bob sagged mm-hmm. so yeah but uh Long story short, yeah, the, uh, the past couple of weeks, especially with deaths in, in entertainment, has been a weird one. Yeah. And yeah, 2022 was basically like John Kreese looking at Johnny Lawrence and just going, no mercy. I know. Pretty much. Oh, we'll get, we'll get to uh, Cobra Kai later. But, uh, mm-hmm. and, but from one depressing news to another depressing news... And we're not going to do everything all depressing today. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it, just a lot of depressing stuff has just happened when we've been away. And it's like, now we kind of have to just, like, cover it all at once, seemingly. So it's like, yeah. buckle up, everybody. We're, we're but, in this together. But uh, I will say this. We're starting off the depressing stuff first. And then by the time we're ending this episode, you're going to be having, we'll put a smile on our face. So Because yeah. we'll be talking about stuff that we actually enjoyed. And... <laughs> But yeah, so Josh Sweden is in the news again, and uh, uh, Josh, oh Josh, um, he kind of fired himself, uh, he kind of shot himself in the foot by uh, doing an interview by not only, uh, maybe, and unless it was like a hit piece uh, or something like that, or if the editors decided to work around, but he basically denied any allegations about what happened on Justice League. And, uh, so, and not just Justice League, but but also uh, like, like Buffy, even his other the other accusations too. Yeah, like Buffy, like his stuff on Buffy, his stuff on Angel, his stuff on Firefly. Uh, uh, the fact that he probably uh, murdered somebody as a kid kind of like went under the radar. Jesus. So, yeah. Well, he didn't like murder somebody. He, uh, uh, okay. So I point this out because, uh, one of my friends actually had to point it out because, uh, at some point in an interview, his interview was actually talking about how as a kid, Josh was like, he had a, like a, he was with his family upstate and the family upstate had like a pond or something like that. And he, and, uh, and he was with a family, a family friend, or something like that, and the family friend was in the pond, and after a while, Joss just decided to leave the kid just unattended, and they didn't find the kid until, like, a couple of weeks later, like, dead in the pond. Jesus. And 
And, uh, like, uh, according to him, it's because of stuff like that. It's because of stuff like this. It's because I never, I never know. I never knew how to swim. Like, my parents never gave me a lesson to swim. And again, this whole thing with Joss Whedon is like one weird clusterfuck of a, of an interview. Mm-hmm. And I say that, and I say that with, uh, with, I say that by after reading some of that part interview, I'm going. Not only is he shooting himself in the foot with uh, these allegations, but he's also pretty much like opening doors to other allegations that probably haven't been, you know, uh, tossed upon, even though they were tossed mm-hmm. upon. So yeah, it, it, it's like this. Yeah, like, dude, so, how many like how many times has he done press junkets? Like, he's like, and he still doesn't seem to understand. How do you how? It, I'm just so baffled by how this yeah. dude has managed to shoot himself in the foot in such a way where he seemingly just took a revolver and just kept going until there were no rounds left. It, it feels like that's how many times he shot himself in the foot in just this interview alone. Because like you're saying, it's like he just opened himself to more allegations and made it made them even worse. Like like when I'm first reading it, like the one that immediately struck out to me because this was this was newer to what I think he said before, where he was saying. Oh, well, you know, um, Gal Gadot's first language wasn't English, so, you know. And I'm like, okay, so, yeah, kind of, you know, like the obvious racism there. Okay. Not sure how that is an excuse for um, your attitude, but okay. And then also, it's just like, when it's like, you know, the, um, it also is like he has, like, the, I, because I've been re-looking at some of his things, like, this dude is kind of a pervert, though, if I'm going to be honest. The way he films certain things, like, that scene in his version of Justice League where um, Flash falls and his head lands on Wonder Woman's chest. That yeah. same kind of scene actually happens in, and I totally forgot about this until I essentially saw this clip again, where the same thing happens in Age of Ultron, when the robots are attacking in yeah. the event of Tower. Black Widow is on the ground behind the bar, and um, uh, Bruce Banner jumps over the bar to get, you know, to get some cover, and then his head lands on Black Widow's chest. Which really tells you about how uh, Joss Whedon saw Black Widow, because you know Black Widow is behind the bar being the bartender and stuff like that. Instead, well, you know, it, it also just kind of reflects how he really does kind of see women to a degree too, because it's like he did the same exact shot in in both movies. It's like, why? It's not funny. It, it's just weird and awkward. Like, I, I, because it's clear he wanted a laugh out of it, but it's like, I'm watching, especially the one in Justice League, and I'm like, this is weird. Like, uh, did, did anyone else, like, I don't know, check this before, like, they put it on the cut? Like, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like, I mean, but, yeah, but it's like, don't- Back further than that, uh, there was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and there was a, a whole subplot in season six, I believe, either either somewhere between season five or season six. I, I think it's probably season six, but season six is more like the more stranger of the. Um, yes, it, it definitely was season six. Was uh, I, I called season six like the bizarro season, where it's like a lot of the things that happened was just so bizarre. And one of the subplots was that Spike, uh, the resident uh, 
anti-hero uh, uh, vampire character. You know, he wanted a, a Buffy to himself because he still has feelings for her and stuff like that, too. And so he goes to a... Uh, I'm trying to remember what, what, what the character's name, but he basically goes to the, like this uh, young man who basically built like a, who's basically like an evil genius. He builds his own like robots and stuff like that too, and is basically and it's basically lifelike, you know. So what he basically does is basically create a Buffy bot that basically looks, sounds, and has the exact me- measurements of essentially Buffy Summers. So. And someone, and because this was pointed out in the article, I'm like, you know, in hindsight, that is kind of like weird to have, especially since Buffy is like, you know, still relatively a, a young woman, like maybe 19 or 20. And, you know, you know Sarah Michelle Gellar was probably in her like late 20s. So she could probably pass, you know, like pass that, you know, mm-hmm. pass thing. But technically speaking, when a character like that is being portrayed like that, plus is the main character of the show, it, it, even though this isn't the same character, it, it is kind of like, like very degrading to say, oh, you know, by the way, you know, we decided to split your character into this season. You know, there's you, and then there is a copy of you that is basically a sex bot for someone else. So. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, that is really creepy. Like, one of the few times I've seen, you know, creating a robot character done well is actually Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because yeah. the intent wasn't to be a sex robot. No. Like, that's it, the kind of point right there. It's like, if your intent for a robot is to essentially just fulfill the sexual desires of a character, you've got a big problem here. Oh, yeah. Like, especially because there's so much potential you can do with a robot character, and if you inherently create them with this sort of, like, this is their inherent purpose. One, all you're doing is revealing that, yes, you're such a pervert, apparently, that you think a sex robot is just, per- it's just, you know, perfect writing. That's just a, yeah. you know, that's a great plot right there. Like, oh, my God. Uh, and then they point out the thing that happened with Angel and how, essentially, uh, Charisma, Cro- uh, Charisma Carpenter was pregnant in, I believe... Season, again, season four or mm. season three, between one of uh, I, I believe it was, season, yeah, season four. Mm. Because uh, season four, again, is a bizarre season where a lot of this stuff was very bizarre to happen. And mm. her character was, was one, wasn't written to be pregnant on the show. And then over the, over the season, it was like, oh, uh, we got to find a way to actually include the pregnancy or keep, you know, doing the thing where it's like, oh, you know, the characters are like staying behind. You know, some door and they don't see, you know, you don't see the like the belly, you know, stuff like that, too. So they, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you find like you find ways to get creative and try to, like, you know, hide it. And then after a while, I was like, you know what, we'll just get, you know, give it into the into the show and as to have her as pregnant. So mm-hmm. but and again, according to um, Whedon, when he had a conversation with Charisma, I believe, like, oh, I didn't believe you were pregnant. I think I just thought you were putting on weight or something to that effect, which is just like, which, you know, is one, holy shit. And two, uh, it kind of like shows you how warped this guy's mind is and how how he's been perceived as like a 
like nerd icon for the past like 25 years. You've yeah, it's, it's it's like that's what's that's what's just so weird. It's like it's like you're saying everyone thinks he's he's like an icon that he's like you know, but it's like at the same time he's it's just been revealed how much of a really just kind of misogynist he is. And I, I don't even want to say that because I was going to say the term closet misogynist, but it's like, no, not really. I mean, kind of, I guess. Like, I feel like, yeah, I, no, actually, I feel like that does kind of is the term because I feel like he actually has tried to hide his misogyny for so long because he realized, I think he realized how much of this icon he was becoming that he tried to hide it. But it's like, but this is just also who he is as a person. And it's like, he can't really fight who he is, I feel like. And then now with everything, it's like, I feel like he's just like almost becoming more of who he is. It's like, really, this just kind of echoes like a great line from Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, said by the character Rainsfall to Arthur when they were talking about Dutch. The line going, you know, it's not that we really change. It's just that we become more of who we really are. Yeah. So it's like, you know, maybe Joss Whedon wasn't always like this. Maybe it was just something that was inside of him. And he knew how to keep it, you know, hidden for a while. But then as time has gone on, he's become more comfortable with that. And it's, it started to show more and more and more in the works. Like, the sex robot. Like, calling a pregnant woman, saying, you know, a pregnant woman was just getting fat. And then those weird shots that are supposed to be comedic but aren't of having a man, like, and his, you know, face fall into a woman's chest. Yeah. When, one, it's out, it's really out of place. It's a, like a weird spot for humor because if there is a laugh, it's going to be for maybe two seconds. And then, oh yeah, look at this intense action where we could all die right now. Let's maybe focus on that instead of this weird joke that doesn't actually work at all. So yeah, I feel, yeah. Ugh, Joss, man. What are you doing? Just what are you doing? Just take the L. Go home. And just, just stop. You're, yeah. you're literally, you're literally doing nothing to actually, like, really address any of this in a way that's actually meaningful to begin with. Because all you're trying to do is just double down and essentially try to pit the blame on others. Yeah, and I'm, and again, I had to reread the article as you're talking about this, and apparently, uh, he has like some regret calling charisma, you know. Uh, like after he, like I was not man, uh, manual. I was not manually. Most of my experience with her were delightful and charming. She struggles sometimes with her lines, but no one could hit a punchline harder than her. You know, the interviewer asked her, ah, and here comes like the the great gaslighting uh, thing, where it's just like like the interviewer asked him if he remembered, you know, calling her fat or anything, and. I did not call her fat, he quickly replied. Of course I didn't. And of course, the interview goes, like, the article goes into more thing where apparently he had called other women fat, you know, pregnant women fat. Uh, one being Rebecca Axe, who wrote the last three seasons of Buffy. And apparently, she was we- weeks away from giving birth and she was happy to see Joss and the first thing he said to me was, oh, you're fat. Did it hurt me? Yes. Did it say, hey, I got a baby in here. What's your excuse? So in many unsaid words, yes. 
But I think he was slim at that point, so my point is it's a dick move, but I wouldn't call it abuse. Uh, but yeah, it's like a lot of it from what I've been reading is that he, when he was working at Buffy, it was like he was 31. He hadn't worked on a uh, show like this before, like uh, obviously like show running a show and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. So obviously that there is a lot of uh, like closeted, like resentment towards women and stuff like that too, that you kind of like do see mm-hmm. over time, especially in some of his writing. And again, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really does say a lot when a prominent LBGQT plus character on the show, it's killed just to motivate a, her girlfriend into essentially almost destroying the world. Mm-hmm. And this happens of course on Buffy. And, mm-hmm. and of course, a lot of people have been, you know, pissed off at Josh for, you know, doing that. And they're like, oh, you know, it's like I did to expand the season because one, again, season six is a very weird season and a Buffy. And, and, but to essentially kill off a lesbian character just to shock, just to create shock value and also mm-hmm. to, uh, motivate your, one of your main characters into trying to destroy the world because the, the character is a witch and, you know, and she could essentially absorb this knowledge of magical knowledge into essentially trying to destroy the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a dick move because, you know, it, it just shows that he is like, there is some sort of like closet misogynistic, misogyn, misogyny. There we go. Misogynistic. Yeah. Yeah, misogynistic uh, tendencies in there that are very closeted, and mm-hmm. he, and in a way it does come out with his writing because you know how you know how other character like other women characters would be essentially be what they call stuffed in the fridge, whereas it's like their mm-hmm. sole purpose of being uh, a, a character. If they were a female character, were either you're the girlfriend and you're probably gonna die. Mm-hmm. So you probably and it comes from a very famous uh, uh, shot in comics where Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern at the time, finds his girlfriend like literally stuffed in the fridge. So and and of course, you know, uh, and this goes into other characters in other shows like, of it as well. Like Black Widow having to be the one to calm down the angry Hulk man. Yeah, I'm going to get to the, the, the Avengers stuff in a couple of seconds. But okay. yeah, in Buffy. Uh, one of the main storylines for in Buffy was that Spike and Buffy have a uh, primatic relationship now, as far as now probably <laughs> what we call primatic, a very problematic relationship. I mean, uh, I mean, honestly, it's it should still be it should have been considered problematic back when he freaking created the sex robot. No, uh, but or, I mean, I I, mean, I haven't but, seen the show that much, so it's like I'm only going uh, off of like. Like, one yeah. of the big things about their relationship was that uh, at one point Spike nearly rapes Buffy because he, you know, he doesn't perceive it as being. Uh, he sees it as a consensual thing, even though she's trying to stop him. And of course, this leads into essentially Spike trying to redeem himself, not only as a character, but also like redeem himself as as a boyfriend and stuff like that too. And then 
Like, Joss, maybe you just don't have the person do that. Did you ever think of that, Joss? Yes. And, of course, you know, Angel is not a a, a sinner as well. I mean, a saint, I should say. Angel is not a saint as well because, you know, this is a man who is probably like maybe 300, 400 years old, uh, creeping on a girl that was probably 15 years old at the time, mm-hmm. 16, whatever the Buffy age was in the first season. I'm trying to remember it again. They kind of do it like year by year. So season one, yeah, probably 16, mm-hmm. like 15, 16 around that area. Yeah, so, yeah. so, and of course, you know, they wait like, you know, a season and a half until they finally consummate them, you know, their love for each other. And of course, you know, Angel having sex with Buffy not only makes him lose his humanity, it also makes him become like the more, the most monstrous evil vampire there is called Angelus. And of course, Angelus Wait, hold on a second. Okay, so, okay. Let me see if I got this first. So, this character, who is a vampire, yeah. after he and Buffy have sex, yeah. he loses his humanity and becomes a monster. Yeah. Okay, what so the back frick story. is wrong with you, Joss? Okay, Do you so, think... What? What, like, what happened to you, Joss, in your years that, like... Okay, so a little backstory with uh, with Angel and Angelus. So originally, Angel was this monster vampire called Angelus, right? And he basically had some sort of like I believe it was a gypsy curse or some sort of curse that basically forbade him into becoming Angelus again. Because if he had found true love and he found that true love calling, and they, he consummated that love with that true love, an Angel will be gone and Angelus will be reborn. And Angelus is like one sadistic vampire. Mm. And again, to quote, quote the, the stuff in the fridge thing, one of his main things that he did in season two was essentially kill off the girlfriend to the main mentor, Giles. And Giles was just having a nice uh, relationship with this girl, I mean, with this woman named Jenny Callender. And then suddenly Angelus is reborn. The first thing that Angelus does is like literally just kill uh, Jenny in a very gruesome way by snapping her neck and then leaving her body to to Giles in a romantic way because as Giles is walking up the steps, he has all this roses, he's following the roses, he finds Jenny's body. It's like this underlining monologue done by David Boreanaz in a very creepy way. They basically talks about what love is, and as he's like talking about what love is and all that stuff, you just see the body of like Jenny and, and Giles just like breaking down and all that stuff, and yeah, and then and then they killed Angelus, and then the Angel comes back, and then it's like there's this whole, like this whole argument about if Angelus does come back out, like how will they, you know? Like combat again, and it, and Angelus does actually come out again in season three, or again I think it's probably season three of Angel, uh, because he does have a kid with uh he does have a kid, Angel, but he doesn't lose his soul or anything. Apparently, the whole thing with him losing his soul is that he has to find true love and. The true love that consummates, and the, when he consummates that marriage, I mean, consummates marriage, when he consummates that relationship with his true love, that's when he loses his humanity. Anybody else is just fair game. 
So yeah, the, that's the reason why Angel loses his uh, humanity and uh, Angel and Buffy and the, all that stuff. Just to explain it to you. Okay. And this is something I haven't watched in like maybe ten years, but it still resonates with me because I grew and. This was like one of the first shows I actually watched, I actually binge watched before there was Netflix and stuff like that too. So, mm-hmm. so that's how it resonates with me more. The same mm-hmm. thing with Smallville, but yeah. <laughs> small the the, the Smallville is like a whole different argument. Yeah, <laughs> different that's, that's a different thing. That's a totally different animal. Yeah, that's a whole different animal. Uh, but yeah, uh, Josh, especially when you're watching uh, something like Buffy and Angel, you could just tell there was like this like animosity towards women and stuff like that too. Especially if these women are just either degraded, berated, or just killed off just like as a as an afterthought sometimes. Yeah, like it very much feels like some high school crush he had on someone rejected him, and some like. Maybe some humiliating way, but I had to make a guess. And then he took it out, yeah, and yeah. has continued to take it out on in the on these shows on the characters. Yeah, and and, and, and it's yeah. like, geez, dude, it's like you're not gonna actually like if you're coming at a place of hate with where you're creating these characters, you're only going to do just you're not gonna you're not gonna do well by the characters. Oh yeah. And a lot of the stuff that has happened with Joss Whedon, you know, it, it does carry over to these movies as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Avengers, The Avengers, Age of Ultron, and Justice League, you know, these three big movies all have, like, the things that are, you know, problematic, you know. Uh, they're, you know, like in Avengers, there's, a, like, this whole scene of, Loki essentially is telling, uh, I'm about to say Scarlet Witch, um, uh, Black Widow that he will have, you know, Barton essentially torture her or something like that. And in a way that does feel like it is very sexual. Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, Tom Hiddleston, he's playing it as Loki. But at the same mm-hmm. time, if you do watch the Out of Context and you don't know he's Loki, you know, it just sounds like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to have my uh, your best friend do things to you. Break you apart, and then once you're once he's done with you, I'll kill him, and I'll kill you myself, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, and then you go into Age of Ultron and all the stuff with Black Widow and stuff like that too. And then you find out, oh, you know, um, he, you know, uh, just adding the whole, you know, she can't have any kids thing, which I don't know if that is part of the comics. If it is part of the comics, I'm pretty sure. They kind of like, you know, you know, kind of said, oh, yeah, it's, you know, she could probably have kids now. It's like, it's mm-hmm. just. I have to say that one kind of does make sense because then when we look at like, you know, at her own Black Widow movie, we see all these Black Widows. Yeah. And then everything they've gone through. That at least does make a little bit of sense. Because it makes sense thinking about it now because there's. It feels like there's context to kind of like back up and justify why that would be the case. Yeah, but, it, like, but it's like the but it's like the rest of the way that she's essentially treated in the movie. It's just like you could just you can just see like you know the way you, it's like you can still see the way Whedon like treats women characters. Yeah, and again, uh... like I was saying earlier, with having the fact that it's like you know she has to be the one to you know 
calm down angry Hulk to go back to Bruce Banner. Yeah, and uh, you you have uh, friggin' uh, Elizabeth Olsen wearing essentially like like I wouldn't say skip me outfits, but they look they like some look weird sk- kind of schoolgirl kind of thing. Yeah, like like Joss, what the hell? I, I'm like. And then, well, to be fair, that's kind of the way Elizabeth Olsen's character just just does get treated anyway in like the rest of the Marvel movies. Until like, like, I, like uh, even like even she was like saying that at one point. It's like, why am I always the one wearing this stuff? Where it's like trying to show off my boobs and no and no other woman characters treated like that. Yeah, and then you know it's like, uh, yeah, you could just tell that you know there is like this. Like Klausnip, that sort of thing too, and it kind of like culminates cl- with uh, Justice League, and how much of a cluster, you know, fuck that was, and mm-hmm. you know, not only like, does... like, like the frick that uh, you get rid of Darkseid, and you basically just have Steppenwolf have an Oedipus complex. Yeah, mother. Like seriously, like, like literally the, the line that I will always remember. <laughs> Like, the line I'll always remember is when he's interrogating those people in that lighthouse or whatever the place that was. And he just goes, where is my mother? It's like, oh, my God, dude. Because then it's like when I see the Snyder Cut, it's like, thank God. Like, that's all I'm thinking watching the Snyder Cut. I'm like, thank God. (sighs) Thank God that wasn't actually the original intent of this. And this is just... Well, one, thanks, Whedon, for revealing how much of just a freaking misogynist you are and just these, just, just how much yeah. you just hate women, apparently, Whedon. I mean, thanks for, you know, making it more and more and more apparent to us. Yeah. I guess. I, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but I mean, thanks. Thanks. I wish you weren't like that, but thanks for letting us know who you are. And of course, you know, the, uh, it still doesn't stop him with uh, uh, with just women too, and I mean, of course, it's not, it, 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 like that was like one of the big problems with what uh, I read as with the Josh Whedon thing was that he has. It's the one thing that's the biggest connective tissue that seems to be apparent in a lot of his stuff, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like that little bit of racism he had with like you know Gal Gadot saying that oh well you know English wasn't her first language. Yeah. Like, dude, how many movies has she been in where she's literally been speaking perfect English? Come on. Come on. Like, even in the Fast and the Furious, uh, what was it, part four? The fifth one, yeah, fifth one. The fifth one, when she, like, yeah, the fifth one, because that's when everything started going off the rails with that that series. Anyway, that's a definite discussion. Actually, fifth Uh, one was good. It was, yeah, like, after fifth, it's like, yeah, nothing. That's a whole different discussion. Uh, (laughs) Series that have gone off the rails, uh, like us. Uh, But, but yeah, even in that movie, she's clearly speaking, you know, you know, English may not be her first language, but she's speaking kind of good English. Yeah. And, and it's like, is it just because she has an accent then, dude? Like, come on, what is this? And then you find out that he basically cut off a lot of uh, Cyborg's uh, uh, backstory and mm-hmm. subplot because he felt like, uh, I was about to say Ray Parker, uh, Ray, Ray Fisher. Fisher. Ray Fisher wasn't a good actor. And I'm like, first off, I understand you're, you know, you're a director, but 
if you say that no one is a good actor, then you could easily just have cut and you having the same feelings with uh, Gal Gadot with uh, her Wonder Woman is like you could and and also also even also I just want to say even when even when he says Ray Fisher's not a good actor, that's actually like to be blunt bullshit because just yeah. watch Ray Fisher in the Snyder Cut and. One, we see the nine-day difference where he actually is doing a good job. In fact, a best scene-by-scene comparison to show the difference, and not just direction, but him being a good actor. In just Joss Whedon's version, when Cyborg makes the first move to, you know, use his, you know, cannon to shoot Steppenwolf. In Joss Whedon, he has no motion. It just, you know, the thing casually forms and shoots. But in Snyder's version, he sees his, like, Cyborg sees his dad threatened. Same like in this, in the Joss cut. But in Snyder's version, we see him get angry that his like his dad is being threatened that he could be killed. Like, you know, we see him rip off those um like that railing that he's standing in front of, and then shouts no, and then makes that cannon, then shoots him. So it actually makes more sense. It's not just like tra la 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 shoot. It's like no, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember that part. Then again, the Sonic Cut is like a four-hour movie, so I'm less mm-hmm. like so it is a little hard for me to actually remember elements from that I, movie that like that isn't like you know i also remember like, that i also remember that too because it's like i was watching like I, I watched a couple of video essays kind of comparing the two movies and one of them did show the scene by scene comparison of that scene from like one version and the other so yeah but yeah it's like and, and also it's like he, he literally gets rid of like so much of the good arcs that the characters had like there was like, say a little about Zack Snyder. He knew how to set up something and then pay it off in the movie. Yeah. Set up Flash with, like, you know, the hand thing that he's, like, you know, not sure about, that he's unsure about himself, but he's just kind of, like, you know, helping out anyway. That, like, you know, that he can't find a job and all that stuff. But then we get the payoff where he literally saves the world while he's, like, saying back what his dad said to him. Well, well, the world and the universe, I would say. Yeah, but well, in the media, definitely the world. Yeah, because he's literally re- as he's running back in time, the world is rebuilding. But yeah, true, true. And then he cuts out, and then Joss cuts out Cyborg's arc, where he, you know, wanted to be human again. That's all he's. That's you know, he didn't want these, you know, to be like this. And then we see Cyborg presented that chance in Snyder's version, and then says that no. This is who I am. I finally accept. I am accepting who I am. Hmm. Instead of just okay, we just gotta pull them apart now. Like we like we have that, but it makes more sense now. Instead of just casually, okay, now let's pull them apart. Because because yeah. it's like the way it seems like in Jaws's version, all you had to do was pull them apart. Just have everyone bum rush the boxes. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like uh, Josh Whedon's cut. Even though he had the problems of the reshoot, uh, uh, the reshoots, there's still the problems of just like cutting up not only reshoots but also just like following the narratives of those reshoots and mm-hmm. and and you know what? To make a great example of this is Solo. I love uh, the. Uh, I'm probably in a minority of actually loves that movie, you know, non-ironically. And now people are like, oh, I love that the. the the, the solo movie, not, you know, ironically and stuff like that too. I loved it when it came out because I thought it was a great uh, addition to the Star Wars universe. I love the Star Wars tale uh, stories. I love how they go with that. And Ron Howard 
had the same misfortune because Lord and Miller made the movie too comedic. And of course, you know, Han Solo is not, the, well, okay, first off, Han Solo has comedic moments, but he's not really what you call a comedic character. Exactly, yeah. So, so what we do, I mean, I mean, so what they do is basically boil it down to a heist movie. And that was what was basically what they were trying to do was essentially a heist movie mm-hmm. in Star Wars. And, and that, and that's perfect. For, and that's perfect because yeah, well, that's so. those situations we see his character in naturally. You know, uh, of course, you know, with Lord and Miller's, uh, thing, they had Michael K. Williams, you know, uh, a great actor in his own right, unfortunately passed away last year. You know, as the main villain, and the main villain was like some sort of like legit bad guy and stuff like that too. And of course, uh, they add in Paul Bedley as uh, Box or whatever the hell his character's name was called. And I, I literally, I, I honestly don't remember. I just call it, you know, Paul, you know, Scarred Paul. You know, he was basically Paul Bedley discard. So I'm like Skull Paul, you know, Skull Bentley or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> but to bring it back to this point. Ron Howard basically had essentially had like maybe 20 percent of the movie, 30 percent of the movie, but basically a good chunk of that movie already filmed. Having to finish that film in his own way while still giving off a great, you know, not only a Ron Howardness, but also. Hey, this is a Star Wars movie, so we got to do, you know, Star Wars stuff. So mm-hmm. compared to that, you know, had the same problems, but at least Ron Howard still took to the uh, source material and actually still gave it a good, uh, you know, good uh, one. So in this saying, okay, you know what, this stuff doesn't work, but I can still keep this, some of the stuff, this stuff doesn't work, but I can still keep some of the stuff, just rework everything. And there you go. Compared to justice league, where it's just like a lot of it just felt like, like it was like, again, justice league comes in a very, bad time just in the dceu where it's just like it just should not have been made because it, it was three films in and they're already doing justice league mm-hmm. and, they don't, and they had only introduced three of the of the six characters at that point anyway yeah like they hinted at the rest of them but they should have had uh, at least one two of them should have had their own movies first and then we get Although, uh, although I, I, I will give Jack Snyder this credit, though. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you're able to introduce characters by just giving them their own little <laughs> JPEG video thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we got like 15 characters to uh, do. You know what? Let's just have like 10 of those characters as a JPEG movie file and someone character and some characters just watching the character just watching that character do their thing <laughs> i'm like that's that's actually genius like that actually just saves like you know that saves like you know 99 percent of world building but uh you know it, it kind of works <laughs> eternals would have been a far different movie if, the, if that happened <laughs> but uh yeah compare and contrast solo same problem mm-hmm. but at least ron howard did the same thing where it's just like he actually took the source material that was already written and just reworked everything to be more of a Star Wars movie, but also more of like a movie that he would do too. Yeah. Uh, Hayden, do you have any thoughts like that too? Um, I mean, I feel like everything we've said already kind of just sums it up, you know, pretty well. I mean, like, I, I mean, solo, I'm just neutral on that, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, like, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, well, I feel like with that kind of thing, it's also, it's also just like, you're getting a director who approaches things from a totally different tone and style. So it was never going to work anyway. But then it's like, you know, but then he just brings his own issues and problems into that movie and puts it in there. And that's the thing, you know, that's going to happen with directors sometimes. Like, you know, you can see a recurring theme that happens in a lot of Zack Snyder's movies. And it, it, you know, it's not, it's not a problematic thing, you know, so thank God for that. But then it's like, you know, you get Joss Whedon and it's like, okay, yeah, dude. It's like he was telling us this whole time who he was and we never wanted to listen until it was so late. Yeah. And on that note, I think that's a good way to uh, end the Josh Green talk because, you know, that's basically the bulk of this first hour. The first hour of this episode is literally, (laughs) let's just shit talk on uh, Josh Green because, one, he has has got it coming for the past, like, 20 years, 20 years, like, (laughs) past 25 years, especially with Buffy, Angel, and stuff like that, too. And, And, again, Buffy, Angel... I hold it near and dear to my heart. That was one of the mm-hmm. first two series that I watched, like, when I first started binge-watching things. And, you know, and this was, like, pre-Netflix, so that was, like, really hard to do. Although mm-hmm. now, nowadays it's like, oh, it's it's on uh, Amazon Prime, or it's, or it's, like, on Hulu or something like that, too. Or it's on HBO Max or Netflix or whatnot. It's like... But, yeah. Uh, so... As I said, dark stuff over first. Now we can talk something light. So, because of coronavirus, okay, now I say it's like... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so news. So COVID. So COVID. <laughs> no, COVID is still around. Uh, the Omicron thing is, like, still rapidly becoming an issue. But the Golden Globes actually did not do its full ceremony of people inside. It was a closed ceremony. I, I think no attendant, no attendees were there aside from the people who were like already like won. So if they, if they had already won, you know, it'd be like, Oh, you know, someone won. Okay. Uh, and then they, uh, give off a concession speech to whoever's there or something like that. I have no idea how it worked. All I know is it was behind closed doors. No one was there aside from like, uh, per, like key personnel. But because of that, it did give off, uh, like history of when the winners being, uh, yeah, when the winners was actually like the first transgendered Actress to win, I think, what was it, Best Actress in TV or Miniseries? Like, one of those TV miniseries categories. It's like one mm-hmm. of those, I, like, one of those categories. I know it was Best Actress in one of those type of categories. But. Nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, the actress was MJ Rodriguez in, in, in the show Pose, which was in its last season, I think, last year. Yeah. And. Yeah, aside from like like that and the fact it was behind closed doors, like I did not realize the Golden Globes was actually like it just like came and passed like a like a ship in the night. Whereas uh-huh. like like it literally just like came and, like it literally just passed. And yeah. I and because of that, 
and the notion of the Oscars might having their own host again. Hayden, do you think that having an award ceremony behind closed doors with just key personnel and only showing the winners after they have been announced is a good thing, or should they just do like the Oscar thing and have like a host and actually have it more condensed and everything? Well, honestly, I think that was the good route for them to go because it's like, you know, it, it is definitely safer because it's like, you know, um, it, it's just the way that Omicron can spread too. It's like, it's just better to be safer. And then too, it's like, we don't really need all that fanfare that we get with award shows because let's be honest, like who really does tune into that stuff? Like if I'm going to be really honest, because it's like, as we know, like, you know, the, the viewership on award shows just has continually gone down over the last you know couple years anyway. Like even, even before COVID, like, you know, viewership was already kind of starting to go down because yeah. it's one of those things where it's like award shows are just frustrating because yeah. we see so many good things where it's like, this should have won, but it didn't. And then why is that? Because of who is essentially doing the voting in all this. Yeah. So they always go for what is more of the quote unquote familiar. And, you know, not to say that, you know, they're, that a lot of people who do win those awards aren't good at what they do that, or that they didn't create something good. It's just a thing where it's like, there is this pattern where it, it just feels like what's the point of of watching these award shows when really we all kind of know that the thing we all know should get the win generally doesn't. And and it is a great surprise when someone does actually get it and they, you know, are the most deserving out of everyone. Yeah. Like and the fact that a transgender actor slash actress actually won an award. Like, yeah, that's that has to be one of the first that I that I you know know of anyway. Yeah, I mean there there have been like others being nominated, you know, for those type of things, but I think it's like a like it's a rarity when I actually read that oh, uh, a trans you know a member of the transgender community actually wins like when like an actual you know Golden Globe or an Oscar and stuff like that too, and it, it's definitely one it's it's definitely a. a big thing to actually read too but yeah I, I think i'm in the, the same camp as you where it's less like it should be behind closed doors it should not be like three hours long four hours long how long how many hours mm -hmm. long and a lot of it does especially because they drag it out on purpose because they know that's the only way they're going to actually keep the viewership because a lot of the wars they announced at the beginning generally aren't the ones we're there watching to be you know totally honest yeah and, of course, a lot of the reason why people still watch that, those type of shows is because, uh, one, Golden Gloves is, like, the only award show that I know of that actually has uh, people eating and drinking, you know, like, mm -hmm. a lot of wine, Chardonnay, whatever, you know, whatever drinks you drink that there. And that's just be how they do them all. Like, like, like I, don't, I don't know which one it was. No, I think it was the Oscars. Where it's like everyone just just sits around like they're watching a movie and it's like you're just stuck there. Yeah, and like I, I remember what was it the like it, with the Oscars it's just like you know, like like literally out of uh, like this boring ceremony you have to laugh and have to wait and all that stuff. At least with the Golden Globes, you know, 
you have drinks, you have meals to eat and all that stuff. You, you know, sitting with other people like where a round table where you can actually have conversations rather than just being like in a theater, like in a theater stuck to against each other and like, like unable to really talk to each other until like commercials and stuff like that. Here you get like, exactly. you, you know, I get like, it's a, a round table. And it's like, and if you want to do that, and it's like, talk to someone right next to each other like, like that. And it's like, Hey, you're like, can you believe this? Like, can you believe this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's a better way to at least do it. Like, you know, if you're going to do award shows, at least do it like that. Yeah. Because those things take forever. Yeah. And, of course, you know, with the Oscars, the Oscars are just so unfunny at times because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like having people trying to laugh at, like, jokes that just go either, like, just that goes, like, so, like, bomb so quickly or... Jokes that just doesn't seem so correct to hear in terms of just like, eh, like the delivery just wasn't like, eh. and, mm-hmm. of course, and of course, you know, you have hosts that just don't really aren't like Oscar material. They they, mm-hmm. they just they just host it like uh, like they're just doing a regular talk show. And that, and that's the thing about uh, the Oscars, too, is that especially when one of the hosts was a talk show host, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. And also Ellen DeGeneres, so. Oh, yeah. Forgot about her. We all do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As we probably show at this point, given yeah. all the, you know, stuff that went on with her and her at, show. At least with Jimmy Kimball, you know, at least he, you know, his style of comedy is that, you know, he actually does make fun of a lot of this stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. he actually does make fun of a lot of the stuff that's happening. So, you know, at least. Yeah, like that, like when that goof up happened and he had to literally like run back on stage and try to salvage it. Yeah, at, at least he knows the joke and he, at least he's able to like, you know, the thing about Jimmy Kimmel, he's a comedian. So he has like a, mean, a comedian background. So he knows how to like work crowd and stuff like that, too. And mm-hmm. but when you have like you know, uh, actors who aren't really good at presenting or actors who aren't really good at hosting or comedians, comedians who aren't really good at doing both, it is hard to watch, especially if you're doing a, like a a hosting gig mm-hmm. but some of the best comedian but some of the best hosts happen to be comedians who are like you know like and this brings up my next point is that mm-hmm. the abc president who is running uh, who is going to be broadcasting uh, the oscars wants to you know and this brings up the whole hosting thing is that the the abc president wants to have a host but he wants it to be uh a combination uh, a, tr- uh, a trio of steve martin Martin Short and Selena Gomez, and the three of them have a Netflix about to say Netflix show, a Hulu show called Only Murderers in This Built are in this building or is it in this building? What, or but only, only 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 murderers live in this building? Well, yeah, it's 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 on it's like yeah, it's a long title. Yeah, it's like a very and and, and again, that's a show about podcasting too. So that's maybe they should hire hosts. I mean, if they want podcasters. Yeah, yeah we're here. Yeah. Yeah, we cover entertainment news. Like, yeah, just, uh, just, just, just to be clear, um, we may go off rails, so you know, it's like as we always do. Oh yeah, uh, think of us more like if a variation of Who's Line was hosting your Oscars. And but yeah, uh, I but I could easily could see those three host the Oscars because one, yeah, uh, Martin Short and Steve Martin have already done the Oscars in the past, and especially Steve Martin. And Selena Gomez is still a 
great presenter in her own right because, you know, she's still energetic. She brings a lot of energy to the thing. So, mm-hmm. and watching Only Murders and, you know, on Hulu, the three of them do have like a, like their energies do mash together so well. So mm-hmm. if the, if they are going to do like a, a trio hosting and everything, you have to have it, you have someone, and if it is like a dual hosting thing, you have to have two people who have, whose energies are mashed together so well, combined with someone who's presenting, you know, who's able to tell jokes greatly and also have someone who can play the straight man just ra- rather just like sometimes just have the person just like fall right into the trick mm-hmm. or just have someone just like, but anyway, but yeah. I, I do think that with the Golden Globes, it should be in a more condensed, like, behind closed doors mm-hmm. type of deal. Nobody there is that for essential personnel. But with the Oscars, it could be a mixture of both, where it could be, like, behind closed doors, but at the same time, have someone host a thing like this to give some priority of what's to come. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it could be, the, like, it could be literally just be, like, oh. Over this, over the computer, right? Yeah. You know, like, don't have, like, you know, 500, 600,000 people, wherever in that you know, like, theater, just to be, like, crammed into, you know, for, like, a three-hour show. Mm-hmm. Like, really unable to do anything, aside from just, like, sit down and just, like, relax and watch this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like, literally watch like, the films. Yeah. Like, what difference does it make if they're actually there or not? Because, like, how many times has an actor won an award, but they couldn't show up that night? Yeah. Here, them. at least, you know, they get, like, the segue into, uh, uh, they also get the segue into, uh, oh, you know, um, uh, Brad Pitt cannot be here tonight, so I'll be accepting the award for him. And then, sure enough, Brad Pitt, you know, could be, on, be called on Zoom to accept his award now. So I was like, man, guys, thanks for us. And there's so many funny moments you could have with that, too. Yeah, it's like because it's like if you know an actor can't show up and then okay, so we're gonna need someone to accept in his place. So maybe let's think about what we could do to kind of play around with that. And like you could just have some funny moment of like the actor just like doing something ridiculous on his end, and then he realizes, oh, am I on Zoom right now? Oh, hey, thanks, I'll accept yeah. that award, and then and then just goes back to whatever weird shenanigans they were up to. Yeah, so it's like you could easily do that, and and that again brings you know, flavor into the Oscars, but, and, and of course, that's a problem with the Oscars as well. The same thing with the Golden Globes is that, and what you pointed out too before was that the the voting committee and stuff like that, they are, are a tired and old voting community, you know, vote, uh, a voting, uh, yeah, uh, point is I'm trying to make is that it's the same old voters who essentially yeah, are voting vote. for what is essentially the same thing over and over again because yeah. it's the familiar. Yeah, it's the familiarity of everything, and and that's the reason why some of these jokes that you hear is like they just don't like mm-hmm. land or just don't fall through and all that stuff. And yeah, it, it really I think its biggest problem is they can't move away from tradition. Yeah. And adapt to the modern times. And that really is the biggest, like, that really, I think, is the core of why these award shows generally are kind of the way they are. That is that the people involved can't move past traditions and the old school. Yeah. And sometimes the old school is good, but, you know, it's good to embrace the uh, the new. Yeah. Or yeah. as or as 
Ethan Hawke's character says in the Moonlight trailer, embrace the chaos. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Moonlight, <laughs> oh, yeah. our last story of this podcast is Moonlight. So I was amazed to actually watch it and go, I was like, I was like literally just like on Twitter, on the uh, the Twitter uh, account for our show, like saying, mm-hmm. oh, you know, uh, this was a great, uh, great. It's gonna be a great match for us, especially for us comic fans, because one, mm-hmm. we have the Batman in the, in the, we have the Batman coming out early March. And then at the end of March, we have Moon Knight. And mm-hmm. of course, people are like, oh, you know, people are like, oh, you, you know, you're only liking Moon Knight from the memes. I'm like, of course, I'm liking Moon Knight from the memes. And then the, the Moon Knight memes that have been over the past, like, say, several years have been amazing because a lot of jokes have been amounting to how crazy the character Mark Spector is. But the, the, uh, but the fact, the, the fact of the matter is, you have a character who is literally diagnosed with uh, DID, and there's literally that many characters in Marvel that you know of that actually have dissociated identity disorder, mm-hmm. like as a main character trait. And to see Oscar Isaac like slip between characters and stuff like mm-hmm. that too looks amazing. Like one, you have him as like this very timid. Uh, dweebish type of character and then you see him as Moonlight and you just see like that switch of just going going, oh man it's like like this looks amazing (laughs) oh yeah and and also funny thing too with the DID thing is that a trait like that you would actually expect to see that for the villain not the hero as well yeah but you know here they are explicitly telling you that you know oh this guy uh, has like other personalities or something like that, and you know, and they do say that in the synopsis as well because it's like, you know, uh, they call him Steve Grant slash Mark Spector and stuff like that too, and and of course, you know, one, what really is hyping me to see Moon Knight is that it's bringing me back to the days of Doc Disney, where Disney in his past have. Okay, so when I was a kid growing up, this is a little segue. Uh, sorry, folks. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I have seen like very dark Disney movies that have had have in the past. You know, uh, like Tarzan was an incredibly dark movie. Uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, incredibly dark movie. Uh, I'm trying to remember other dark movies, other dark cartoons that happened in, in, in that little area. But yeah, it's like now, especially with this being part of the MCU, and especially it being like past, uh, what is it, uh, Hawkeye? No, 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 uh, No Way Home, or at least in the time frame of No Way Home. Like, you could tell, like, the, 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 the Disney Plus shows are slowly building up to a more darker, like, take on what they were doing with the Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we're we're going to be talking about the Netflix thing in a couple of seconds because it, it actually does bring up a good point between streaming shows and stuff like that too. But yeah, I definitely just can't wait to watch the show weekly and just be like, be so engrossed into watching this because I I love a good mystery. And mm-hmm. this does look like it's going to be a good mystery to watch. It, it definitely does. And 
it really just highlights a lot of like, um, well, really, it's like what you were saying too. It's like you know, this is darkest we've seen Disney go in a while. Like you know, they were because they were really playing it safe with a lot of their past like MCU projects in particular, with like and not really going as dark as maybe they could be going with it. But then now it's sort yeah. of like we're in this new generation of MCU essentially. And not just in a new phase, but really just a new generation of where they're going to go with it. And it feels like it it actually feels like the right direction to go with because it's almost in a way it's like they're growing up too. Yeah. And it's like this is just such great potential I'm seeing here. Like another thing that has kind of frustrated me with the MCU is their marketing. Yeah. Like I I saw all those trailers for No Way Home and when I like I predicted pretty much what was going to happen in the story for generally the most part and then when I saw the movie I was like yep I called it called it and then of course the worst kept secret ever of course Damn. of course yep that happened too again I still enjoyed it but I, 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 was just, I was annoyed that I could literally predict what the story what it was pretty much going to happen beat to beat to beat for the most part but then I watched this trailer for Moon Knight and I have no idea what's going to happen yeah. And that's really, and that's really kind of the whole point of it too, because it's like we the audience should not know what's gonna happen the same way our protagonist, who has yeah. no idea what's happening as well. And yeah. that is spectacular. Like this and, and just that cinematography and just the way they shot it. Like I'm noticing something similar, ironically enough, with the Batman yeah. in in the way they do the trailers, because in both it doesn't look like there's this reliance on CGI. Yeah. That which fantastic like please like stop relying so heavily on cgi like if you know how to do practical well please do it that is what i that is what i beg you for these superhero shows and movies yeah uh so yeah moon knight it looks like it's gonna be fantastic march is gonna be such a great month for superhero content yeah Especially when you start off the month with a Batman and then you end the month with a Batman-like character, but isn't really Batman, but it has the same aesthetic that is like Batman, which mm-hmm. is essentially, like, you know, the clo- like the cloaked, well, not cloaked, but like the, the very, brr- uh, uh, the Max Vigilante type of thing, but yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think actually an even better comparison is like, we start off March with a good, dark superhero mystery and then we end it with a good dark superhero mystery. Oh yeah, uh, and which brings back to uh, what I was trying to, which brings back to what I was to say with the the Netflix shows is that you know supposedly you know with the Moon Knight they are like leaning into uh, like other characters from the past uh, Netflix shows actually appear. You know, you know it, it is possible that the Punisher might appear and the Punisher actually fits so well with how he is because the Punisher is like this vigilante who goes after any criminal and he might and like you said before to me you know previously is that he might perceive Moon Knight as a criminal as being someone who's just taking law into his own hands and you know what happens if Mark Spector is arrested or Steve Grant is arrested and you know, uh, and he needs a lawyer. Well, mm-hmm. I won't say who it's who pops up, but there's but, you know there is a very good lawyer out there. Yes, <laughs> a very good lawyer. But yeah, and and if they keep on doing this, like a tease, and, and, and also actually, and also sorry, just to, but like that mainly made me think of like imagine a courtroom scene 
where we see him as, you know, Mark or Steve. And then during, we see him then switch to the other identity. Yeah. Imagine how insane that would be to see happen. And also, it would just be like, that could be such also a great showcase of the actor having to go from, like, one to the other. Like, while everyone's wa- while we're all watching it happen. Yeah, it's like, hey, Oscar, uh, like, do you want to see if you can get a Golden Globes, uh, a Golden Globe or Emmy next year? I'm like, okay, let's, let's see how we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it definitely feels like, uh, and, and this is something that we were just talking about right before we st- started filming, which was essentially uh, Netflix produced shows compared to uh, other streaming shows. Like, Disney Plus shows, they have incredible budget. I'm talking about not necessarily the, like the Marvel Plus show. I'm talking about any other Disney Plus show that there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Mandalorian, like the B- Book of Boba Fett, all look spectacular, especially uh, especially when you're like compare this to like a, a Netflix show to say. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of. Um, I'm trying to figure out a, a Netflix show that has like the same, like The Witcher. Mm-hmm. Like The Witcher has like the same type of uh, aesthetic going in, where it's just like a lot of these uh, streaming services have been putting out like quality content because they are taking care of the production value because of like people want to watch these shows or movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that too, you know. Um, and again, to go back to uh, Moon Knight, Moon Knight has like incredible production value for like a Disney Plus show. It's like mm-hmm. compare that to say like WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You know, they look like essentially um, um, Marvel type of shows here. Mm-hmm. You know, with uh, like the same thing with Hawkeye, mm-hmm. but here this looks like 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 this looks like something I would see from like I honestly from the DC. If I gotta be honest, like the way cinematography is, the way they've like promoted it, and just yeah, and I and I mean that in a good way. And and again, like HBO Max and their like DC shows have like the same type of uh, uh production value, where it's like they kind of like really really like promote it into a more like great thing. And I I do I do want to see if some of these. Netflix characters are transferring or transitioning into the the Disney Plus shows. I would love to see how they handle because they've already done one great character, a great service to how they were on this on the, on a Disney on a Disney show. And, and, on, on, onto on, the Netflix one, the Netflix yeah. shows, yeah. Yes, and and again to compare that to is what you said before before we were filming with Cobra Kai, where Cobra Kai was. A YouTube original show, and I'm not sure if YouTube original still does this. I think it still does this somewhat. Maybe I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the only programming that they have for YouTube originals are like kids shows or something like that now. It might yeah, be pretty much. Yeah, and compare that to how Cobra Kai is now on Netflix, where it looks like night and day, where it's like. Like the first two seasons were on on uh, YouTube, well, it was like a YouTube original, mm-hmm. and now on seasons three and four, they have the Netflix money, where they could just like, like, like literally just like Netflix it up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, it, it definitely feels like 
when there is a transfer between networks or between streaming services, there is a great more level of care between the two, you know, two things. Because one, uh, you know, not only would it get into better production value or just better, just like, but, but yeah, better production value, maybe better, uh, look, you know, better. Um, I'm trying to think of the other word. Better networking? I don't know. Uh, better marketing. Uh, better marketing. There we go. Mm. Or well, like well that. really just over, just overall in general though, from like seeing Cobra Kai on YouTube originals, it was like it, it was a good concept. They had something cool going, but then it's like, you, but then once Netflix took over, and then once they had the money to do even more, I feel like that actually allowed the creators to actually be able to take more risks than they had before. Yeah. And like, yeah. And, and, like, and one of the biggest shifts I've seen in the show is the, the fight choreography. Yeah. Like watching it in the early day, in the early seasons, like, yeah, okay. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And then watching it when in season three and four and like, Oh my God, just like, like clearly they knew how to like, clearly they were able to hire the right people to actually make this all look so much better than it had before. Yeah. And, like, just, and, and also, and also maybe it's also just like everyone's comfort level with doing this too, because it's like, it's one thing to you know, kind of start doing it and have to kind of adjust to it, but then once you kind of start getting in the flow of this, it then starts becoming more and more like natural. Yeah, uh, like a great example of that uh, to wrap up that, like compare contrasting, uh, especially what we were doing before, was the with Cobra Kai. Uh, the first two seasons, like the first season, had like the, its big finale with the big karate championship thing, and then. You know, you could tell it was like they were working with a budget, so they weren't doing that like, like flashy stuff. And then mm-hmm. the past two seasons, with seasons two and season three, like, like the season, like second season ended with a great uh, school brawl. And I'm like, okay, it actually showed that they're doing like a lot more care into the thing. And then with season three, they, they like they upped the ante with that school brawl into a full on uh, house brawl mm-hmm. that goes on for like. One section until another section until another section, yeah, and you just follow the camera, just like like literally just following the camera to where it goes. Yeah, like how a lot of that is just flowing like a one take at times. Yeah, and like that was the same thing with uh, season two, where it's like they had the same thing, where it's like you just follow the camera, like it starts off like I, I believe I'm trying to remember correctly, but I believe it starts off with Stingray going off to attack some of these people, like some of the other. Uh, <laughs> Miyagi Do people. Stingray. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just follow Stingray, and then as you're following Stingray, it just goes into other people, like, there's Hawk, there's, there's mm-hmm. Dimitri fighting, all that stuff, and then, and then it just segues right into, uh, Tari and, uh, and Sam. And, yeah, Sam, I was about to say Amanda, but then I was like, wait, that's, that, that's the mother. <laughs> although, although that's a different type of fight I would love to see. Anyway, uh, 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 anyway, um, mm-hmm. uh, that that has been Brian's private thoughts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I would love this. I, I would love to see Amanda actually uh, kick some ass. And and again, she actually does that to a crease in like what was it, season three or season two, where she just slaps the shit at him. And then I'm just like, I'm kind of. I mean, I kind of like that she's the one person who actually isn't a karate master. So it's like yeah. we're kind of just like seeing her reaction to all this because that's 
that's one of the most hilarious things. It's like, so are there any other, um, you know, karate masters we have to like worry about? <laughs> it's just like a, no, she's just like a, a car dealership person. So she, she's like, she's a businesswoman. So she knows about the business. And then there's this Daniel, just like, anyway, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. But in these two, between these two seasons, it is basically these nine day. And then when you go into the third season, it's like he just starts coming into a more uh, productive thing, especially uh, with uh, how season three ended and then going into season four, which I'm currently watching right now. It's like I'm I'm like I'm I'm like on episode seven. So I have like seven, eight, nine, ten. I got like four episodes left. Mm -hmm. So. I, I, I like, and of course, I like the fact that they brought back a character from the first, not the first movie, uh, the third movie, Terry Silver, Silver, Terry Silva, and not play him as a very maniacal type of person, actually have him mellowed out. And then because of Crease, that toxic tendency just comes right back into his life and he goes right into his old maniacal type of uh, way of thinking. Yep. And I, I just love how. And that's another thing I love about the uh, about the show is how, how the characters of the past, especially in the movies, have both meld out with A's, but also meld out into their own like personal uh, philosophies and stuff like that too. Daniel mm -hmm. is someone who follows Miyagi, like to the T. Johnny mm -hmm. is someone who is living in the shadow of the A's, but also a shadow of his former master. Priest mm -hmm. is still an asshole, but you get the sensation of why he is such an asshole. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have Terry, you know, uh, Terry Silver, who comes back not only as a man of peace when you first see him, where he's just like literally just like lounging around in like you know sandals and like his hair is down and you know, like all that mm -hmm. stuff. He doesn't have a, a like a ponytail, and then and then once he goes back to fight, and then. And then this is a great thing between him, between Thomas Ian Griffith and uh, Martin Cove. The two of them have a great fight. Well, obviously, but not the two of them, because obviously it was like as I'm watching these two characters are fighting, I'm like, OK, that's an obviously stunt double. Like, that's a stunt double. Like, but the mm -hmm. two characters have a great fight. And you just see the sense of why Crease is such a bad influence on everyone. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like. Damn, I'm just like, it's sad that I couldn't watch this show when it first premiered on YouTube, but it's still a fun watch the show because Karate Kid wasn't like one of those type of shows that I would not have seen as a full on series. And somehow the creators have been able to make it into a very fun and energetic show. Mm -hmm. So yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like the only Cry Kid movie I saw was the first one, and then I just saw some clips of the other two. Yeah. But it does such a good job of like in just bringing you into that world, into yeah. what happened in the past and what's going on in the present in a way that just that just flows really well. Yeah, and to and and you're not lost at all at the whole time during this as well. And to pick up my uh, uh and to pick and to finish the thought on this thing, where it's just like there are other streaming services that actually do pick up other shows and actually make them look more proper. Like I have yet to really watch Lucifer, mm -hmm. but the 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 post Fox shows they have it on uh, on uh, Netflix. 
they look more like oh they're, they're obviously treating it more like very Netflixy type of thing you know I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there's one episode where Lucifer and another detective friend of his visits a nudist club or something like that no we oh yeah oh my god yeah like <laughs> like so so she's not a detective she's like a forensic um, analyst kind of person <laughs> it was just so like okay this is happening. <laughs> And I'm just like, if this was aired on regular TV, it'd be like, viewer discretion is advised. But since this is on Netflix, you could just have someone walk around, like, bare-ass naked and not worry about, you know, uh, you know that happening. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this is on Netflix. This is this is free of a uh, type of thing. So it's like, mm-hmm. but, and of course. And, and also because, like, when um, Netflix took over Lucifer, it was after the third season that was on Fox and that season, oh my God, it dragged its ass for so long to actually finally get to the end. It's like, cause they wanted to give it more episodes. Cause like, Oh, people love Lucifer. Let's give it even more episodes. And it's like, no, that's not the reason why we like Lucifer. It's not, it's not the, it's not the, um, it's not the quantity. It's the quality. And that is what Netflix was able to essentially do when they took over Lucifer. They were able to, like, maintain its quality. And, again, with Netflix, it also got them Netflix money and able to do, I believe, a full-on episode where they'd sing. Or just randomly. They just, like, yeah. Like, well, they, 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 they have a oh, yeah, like, just randomly. Yeah, they did. Yeah, so I, I so, yeah, spoiler not really, I've seen all Lucifer. I, I, like, watched it all, and, oh, man, yeah, like, there's even an episode where they get animated. Like, yeah, and, like, <laughs> well, it's not the full episode, it's, like, a part of it, but the fact they did it at all, though, it's just, like, it, it was, it was, cause it was just perfect, like, they did such, like, you can tell they're having so much fun with it. Oh, yeah, um, like, again, the same thing, but, uh, different, uh, when it's between different networks or different streaming things, you could tell, like, when there's a different, uh, a different type of beast or a different mm-hmm. type of, uh, I know I'm rambling on, but you, when it's a different type of network picking up a different streaming show that has like on a that's been on a, a different uh, streaming network, you could tell you could tell like where they have had the fun. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you you can tell where you can tell where the quality either dips or just keep or just climbs. And like to end the thing, especially going back to Moon Knight. And and stuff like that too. If there are Netflix characters that are coming back onto Moon Knight for either a guest appearance or stuff like that too, I can't wait to see them. And mm-hmm. because of you know that certain Netflix character appearing in Hawkeye and seeing how they have even not have missed a step, I'm mm-hmm. just like I cannot wait to see what the you know if and and, if, and then same for that and same for a certain character who showed up in No Way Home. Where it's the same thing. You can tell they have not, like, skipped a beat at all. They have not missed a day. It's like, they just went right back into who they were playing. Yeah, as if they never stopped. Yeah, it's amazing to see Japanese Spider-Man like that. Oh, wait, that's a spoiler. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, come on. I think they all know about Spider-Man yeah. by now. Yes. We all know the... the... We all know the, the the who it is. But, yeah. yeah. Seeing those type of characters and seeing how trans... Just from Netflix to Disney Plus, I, I honestly just can't wait to see more of these characters, like, mm-hmm. like slowly pop up. And mm-hmm. hopefully, if they do do that with Moon Knight, 
it'll be like familiar characters and then mm-hmm. it'll probably be like and then afterwards hopefully maybe down the road they could do like Agents of Shield characters which I'll be like I want to see Coulson I honestly want to see Coulson in the TVA mm-hmm. because I yeah. have, I honestly had this theory or idea of imagine Coulson in the TVA it's the last episode of she uh, Agents of Shield he flies away and then you just suddenly see as he's flying away, a portal just opens up and he's in the TBA office like, where am I? And then and you're like, Ugh, Agent Coulson, uh, Phil Coulson. And then you find all. And then as he's walking around, he's like, Loki. And then you just see Loki and him have like some sort of moment. It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> that would be amazing. You have the guy who killed him. And then you have a guy who basically doesn't who, you know, in his mind, like had already just killed this guy. And it's like. So it's like you have someone who is like maybe who is regretful of maybe killing this guy, and then you have the guy who is less like, dude, I'm just so over it. I'm, I've been dead like maybe three or four times since you killed me. <laughs> and the TVA is like, so um, you keep coming back. This might be a problem. We might have a, a use for you <laughs> just yet. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I honestly just can't wait to see where we go with uh, the Netflix uh, characters or just like streaming service in general, this becoming a lot more attentive into some of the production value. Mm-hmm. Like if a lot of these shows are becoming a lot more better in terms of production, then it just shows that these production, not only these productions, but also these shows have more care because of the networks mm-hmm. or streaming networks, I should say. And one, right. last, and one last side note, too, is, like, remember when um, Marvel pushed all of their, like, movies? Like, like for instance, like, um, Doctor Strange 2 was supposed to happen in March, but then it got pushed to May. Yeah. And look at what's coming in March from Marvel. Yeah, Moon Knight. Oh, yeah. okay. So it's yeah, possible maybe. that Moon Knight might come in uh, multiple parts anyway. Uh, well, Think- either that or they realize, okay, people are going to eat this up. Like I said, like I was, I think I was saying this earlier. Like, when people were seeing the trailers for the Batman here and just loving how just amazing those trailers are. And I think Disney was smart to realize, okay, yeah, people are going to, like, people are going to be jumping for this movie. So let's instead push our movies out a couple months. It's also May is going to be a much better time for them anyway. Because, you know, we're going to be entering summer. People are going to be getting out of school. People are going to have more time to go and see the movie for Doctor Strange 2. And then that way you can use your time in March to put out Moon Knight. Oh, yeah. And, and it's definitely one of those type of things where it's just like uh, we have – we are living in a great moment not only in a uh, comic book uh, phase but also just filmmaking phase in general or entertainment mm-hmm. phase in general where we could literally have a TV show – based on a existing property that is essentially continuing offering from that thing. Like right now, uh, I'm loving Peacemaker. Like I mm-hmm. watched the first three episodes of Peacemaker. It is extremely funny, but it's also extremely uh, sad at the same time, where it's just like you mm-hmm. just get the sensation of who this guy is. You know, he isn't like he's still an asshole, but he's, you know, you understand why he's such an asshole. Exactly. <sighs> and on that note, that has been episode the first episode back from 2022 uh hayden i hope you had a good week i hope we have a good week ahead of us i hope nothing else crazy happens uh yeah just please take care please be safe and uh be well you too man and yep same to everyone who watches this
Mm-hmm.